0: Father, we thank you for this time in your Word, and we just ask that you would bless it, Father. Speak to us, and uh, just as we interact with one another, Lord, I pray that we would learn just more about you, and in turn, Lord, just desire more of you and get closer to you. And so, bless our time as we uh, lift it up to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen. "We're gonna look at the ten plagues in Egypt." And so we're starting a new series on Wednesday nights. The greatest stories ever told. And I don't know why the Lord led me here. I mean, obviously, it's not Genesis. It's not the beginning. thought I was going to go to a New Testament uh, story, but we're going to start here. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at chapters 3 through 12. Do the math. That sounds like about nine chapters. Obviously, we're not going to read every verse, but let's do a history. The nation of Israel finds itself in Egypt. How did the nation of Israel get to Egypt? So Joseph was raised up as second in command in the land of Egypt during a famine. In that famine, God raised him up and 12 tribes ended up coming, right? Or the other 11, his brothers, end up coming to him in Genesis at the end there. And then they find themselves just that Pharaoh dies and another one comes up. And he mentions how prolific the Israelites are. They're just too awesome at bearing children. I, I see them more as Hispanics, I guess, yeah, kind of like we just see Hispanics bearing like eight, nine, ten kids in a home. Um, and so that's how the nation of Israel was. So I guess today's modern day Israelites are Hispanics. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what he says. That's his comment. I'm not just telling you what's in the Bible. It's, it's there. And so we see um, that leader, that pharaoh, Uh, enslaves the nation of Israel. And they find themselves slaves in Egypt. And this is something very important for us to know about our God. What causes our God to move? What causes our God to to do something, to intervene in the world? What are you guys' thoughts on that? When his children cry out to him, number one, what else? Okay, all of that fits the same category. When So one is his children crying out to him in any form, prayer, when we're in trouble, when we need him, when we cry out to him, when we call upon him, all of that is one category. The other category is anybody want to guess evil? When evil reaches its apex, when evil reaches its zenith, God intervenes. What was the zenith or the apex of the evil that God told Abraham would take place? Anybody remember how many years? 400 years 400 years the enemy is going to do what the enemy is going to do and at that point i'm going to intervene okay and so it's very important for us to know now as god's children we have a protection we have a covering but the evil that exists in the world affects us does it not so it's not that we are causing that evil the evil is because sin is in the world and unfortunately we have to go through that but what does god do in the midst of that as we commune with Him, as we cry out to Him, as we call upon Him, He hears us. Does that mean that life on this side of eternity is going to be perfect? No, we know it's not, right? There's things that we need to learn. There's things that we need to grow through. And so the nation of Israel finds itself in that place. What does God do when He wants to work on the earth? What does He do? He works Say it again? He works, he works through people. He raises up a man. And so the man of the hour is going to be none none other than the second greatest deliverer in all the Bible. Who would that be? Moses. And so Moses is going to be raised up for God as a deliverer. So Exodus chapter 3, this is the message that God gives to Moses. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Look at verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And so God is going to send Moses, the deliverer, to Pharaoh. He is going to let him know that you are to let my people know. Pharaoh is going to question, who's God? I don't know God. Moses is going to explain to him who he is. But first he's going to go to the nation of Israel. Because the nation of Israel are slaves in Egypt and they need to hear that God has heard their cry and that God is going to deliver them. So same chapter, chapter 3, look at verse 18, then they will heed your voice and you shall come you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt and you shall say to him the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give you this this people. uh, I'm sorry. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that that you shall not go empty-handed. And so what God is going to do by giving the nation of Israel f- a favor as they head out of Egypt, out of bondage, is he's going to have them go to all of the people in Egypt and ask them for loot, for stuff. And they're going to give it to them. God's going to give them favor. And so there's a lot of things that are going on here for us to grasp. But when we have favor with anybody, it's because God gave it to us. And we need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge that. Wow, every good and every perfect gift is from above. And so verse chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. So now what God is going to do is he's going to show him that I can use whatever you have. I can use whatever is in your hand. I can use... Whatever gifting you have or whatever abilities you have, I gave them to you, and so I can use that. But you have to give it to me. You have to surrender it to me. Unfortunately, I see so often so many gifted individuals in the world not glorifying God with the gifts that he has given them. Usually, generally speaking, they use them for their own benefits. They use them for their own fame, for their own fortune, for their own popularity, all kinds of things but all the gifts that we've been given are from God and God wants them back. He wants us to give them to him and to glorify him with them. Verse three in chapter four, and he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And so he takes the rod that he has in his hands. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. God tells him what? Reach down and grab it. But don't grab it by the head. Grab it by the tail. No longer will it rule over you. You rule over that. Keep that thing in check. Verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. You think Moses is excited about this journey, this mission, this opportunity to serve God? No. He's going to begin to make excuses he's going to begin to point to things that are obvious Uh, i i i i'm not eloquent i think he had a stuttering problem but nonetheless verse 13 but he said oh my lord please send by the hand of whomever else you may send and so first i'm not eloquent then god can you get somebody else maybe to to do this i don't really want to do it jump down to verse 21 and the lord said to moses when you go back to egypt see that you do all these wonders before pharaoh which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now that seems harsh. And God says here that he is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. What do you guys know about that? I know Brian knows he taught it. I remember when he taught it. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he does not let him go. Go ahead. Yeah, so even if he had a decision or a change of heart that maybe he would let him, uh, there was no way it was going to happen so that God could show his wonders amongst, the, uh, amongst his uh, chosen people that he is their God. And he wanted to make sure that they knew they could trust him. Okay. Anybody else? What do you know about hardening of Pharaoh's heart? Go ahead, Chuck. It's, it's actually God already knows that he has a hard heart and that he's not going to sway on that. So I see it as that God um, actually set it to where um, we'll get into it. It's gonna it's gonna be clear. Go ahead, Bo. God is going to this to, happen to happen. Predestined. Interesting. Okay. It's a predestination thing. Yeah. Lee? Well, there were several times before that that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Okay. And we're going to see that. Four times or more. So he kept hardening his heart and then God hardened it. Yeah, interesting. Okay. God just made it sure, you know. Okay. What does Paul say in the New Testament? He hardens him whom he wishes? Yeah. Romans chapter, uh, I think it's 11. Or 10, one of them. How will you say, oh man, question God, whatever, right? All right, take a look at verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. Okay, so the nation of Israel is finally won over. They're, they're with it, they're cool. Chapter five, verse one, afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Whoa. Did Pharaoh believe in God? He believed in many gods. There were millions of gods. And God is going to touch Pharaoh's gods. What is the starting point with God? Is it to question God? Is that a good place to start with God? The Almighty God? The creator of the universe in the, in, or the earth and the sea and everything in it? Question God? Is that a good place to start? What's a good place to start with God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. So to fear the Lord is the beginning. God's starting point with man is that we would reverence him, that we would would put him in his rightful place, okay? And so that's a good place to start. Is Pharaoh fearing the Lord? Is he humble? He's a prideful man. He's going to be brought low. Verse six, so the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick uh, as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall... Lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before, you shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. So, the first response to the deliverance of the nation of Israel is harder work. Does that happen in our lives when we press into the things of God? When we want to seek after the face of the Lord? When we want to go deeper in the things of God? It's going to go perfect, right? Life is just going to go peachy king woohoo, life is perfect now because I made a decision to follow after Jesus. No, there's an enemy. And Pharaoh is the type of the devil. He's the type of our enemy. And so what does the enemy do when we make a decision to press into God? He's like, oh yeah? All right, I'll see, I'll see how true your commitment is. I'll see how sincere you were in making that commitment. And then things begin to happen. And at that point, we have a choice. In this case, the nation of Israel, the people who have to pull the same quota of bricks as slaves but get no straw now, they got to get their own straw. They have the same quota. They complained to Moses. And they're saying, Moses, you're not from God. And this is horrible. Look at our lives. It got worse. Chapter six, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I, I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, He will drive them out of this land. Verse six, therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land, which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Now, who's promising that they're going to get this thing done? God is. Is it going to happen? You better believe it, huh? It's going to happen. God is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this. Do you have promises that God has given you? Yes or no? Do you know what those promises are? And do you hold tight to those promises? If you have promises that God has given you, nothing can take that away. So that's a blessing for us. Jump down to verse... Where are we at? Verse 14... Um, where is the new chapter? I think it's verse 10 in the next chapter. Aaron's miraculous rod. Everybody see that? What chapter is that? Seven chapter seven. Or is it eight? No, seven, yeah. Seven, verse eight? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before the Pharaoh, before his servants, and it became a serpent. Verse 11, but Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers so that the magicians of Egypt, um, they also didn't like manner with their enchantments for every man threw down his rod and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And so they go in, they present themselves, they do what God told them to do. They throw their rods down, they turn into snakes. The magician comes and they throw their rods. And what happens? They turn into snakes. But what does Aaron's rod do? It eats their snakes. Now that should say something, right? That should mean something. But it doesn't mean anything because they just think it's black magic and ah, oh, we could do that too. And so we see that Satan is a counterfeiter. Okay? And so is miracles something that we should be looking to as the sign that God is doing something? No. It's got to be based on truth. It's got to be according to God's word because there are false miracles that the Antichrist is going to bring and he's going to deceive the world. He's going to deceive the world. He's the deceiver and he's going to bring all of these counterfeit miracles and the world's going to buy it hook, line, and sinker. So notice 13 says, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, as was mentioned. Jump to uh, the first plague, water becomes blood. Verse 19, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over their po- all their pools, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of woods and pitchers of stone. And so the first plague is the water turns to blood. Is that significant to the nation of Egypt? Absolutely. Okay? Water was their life source. They worshipped the creation rather than the creator. And water was one of their greatest gods. Isn't that kind of weird? Worshipping water. You're going to worship the Nile River. How can you do it? Well, I don't know. You bow down just like we do to different idols that we have. And so that was definitely one of their great gods that they worshipped. And God... Takes their God and turns it into blood. Um Then the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 19, did I okay verse 22? Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for, the water, for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river and seven days passed after the Lord struck the river. And so what we see is a combination of, of Pharaoh's heart getting hard with all of these things. His magicians are able to do something and so he sees the power of God. He's not impressed by it as he should be and his heart begins to get hard, okay? But he's harding in his heart. Chapter 8, uh, verse 1, the second plague. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom and uh, on your bed, into your houses and your servants on the people, into the, your ovens and in your kneading bowls, and the frogs shall come up on you and your people and on all your servants. Now the frogs were a big god in the nation of Egypt. They were something had to, something to do with fertility, and there was this frog head thing with a body. I remember. I think when uh, Brian taught Exodus, he showed us pictures of these different gods. Was this one of them that you? I can't remember who that was. Yeah. So there's a head frog and just, it just gross stuff that they worship. And again, it spoke of fertility. Look at verse 7. And the magicians did with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. So are the magicians helping the situation or are they making it worse? They're making it worse. Okay, Satan is a deceiver and he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And so even with his own allies over promises, under delivers, he's not helping the situation, these magicians, right? as they're conjuring up this evil. Verse eight, then the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs for me and from my people. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Yes. Woo hoo. He's having a change of hearts. Imagine waking up out of your bed, frogs in your bed, frogs on the floor, frogs in your kneading bowl. It said frogs everywhere you go. Verse nine. And Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. And so Moses says, all right, I'm going to intercede for you and I'm going to pray for you for this. Verse 10. So he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God and the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Isn't that weird? Uh, Pharaoh, when, when do you want this to go? I'm going to go ahead and pray for you to the Lord. Um, how about, I don't know, tomorrow? Why not right now? Right now. Can you go pray to the Lord? I got frogs coming out of my ears. I'm smelling frogs. It's gross. I'm stepping on frogs. Frogs are everywhere. I can't even make bread because they're in our stuff. Um, let's go ahead and just do it tomorrow. Verse 14. They gathered them together in heaps, and he, the land, I love this word, stank. So notice he took them away. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. The third plague is lice. The fourth plague is flies. And the word is not even flies, it's flying things. And so it could be more than just flies. The fifth plague ends up being livestock disease. And so as you go through all of these you begin to see Pharaoh making a compromise with Moses and he tells them, all right, all right, I'm, I'm going to give in. Um, who wants to go? Um, all of us? Well, leave the kids behind and he begins to compromise. He begins to try and have Moses make a compromise. Well, everybody can go, but just leave the kids and, and Moses sticks his ground. If you give the enemy an inch and compromise, the enemy will take much more. So you have to stand fast to the word of the Lord. Moses throughout this, as you read through it, every single one where Pharaoh is trying to get him a compromise, another compromise he does is he's like, well, all right, how far do you guys want to go? We want to go to the wilderness. The Lord said, we need to go three miles out. And he's like, well, we'll just just go a shorter distance. And Moses says, no. No. We're not going to do it. The Lord told us. And then another compromise he makes is, all right, just don't go with your animals. And Moses says, no, we have to. All right, then do it in our land. Do it in our land. And, and Moses says, no, I can't do it in your land because it's an abomination to the Egyptians and they will stone us. So we're not going to offend your people worshiping our God. We're going to obey the Lord. And so at each one of those compromises, Moses stands his ground. And guys, trust me, when I say this, if the Lord has given you a word and the Lord has told you to do something, you need to obey that to its fullest measure. You'll never be sorry for it. You'll be sorry in the moment. It may cost you something, but you'll be so blessed that you did hold fast to the word of the Lord. Let God be true and every man a liar. And hold on to that. Don't compromise. The enemy loves when we compromise. It is said in, um, I want to say Ephesians, I think it's chapter 4, nor give place to the devil. I I want to say it's 4. Do you know, Brian? I think it is chapter 4. Ephesians 4, nor give place to the devil. That word place is a strategic means of operation. And it speaks of a foothold. Foothold turns into a stronghold. Stronghold turns into a stranglehold. So be very, very careful. Don't crack the door open to anything that the Lord... Is leading you in and towards. God bless you. Okay? In the sixth plague, the boils, I find this one interesting. Verse 10 they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. Just such a visual for me, taking these ashes and throwing them. And they caused boils that broke out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Seventh plague is hail. Verse 23, and Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. As I was reading this, I was like, whoa, 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 stop. Stop the presses. It's more than hail. Fire is coming down from the sky. Thunder, hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, so there was, there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole earth, uh, throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man, beast, hail struck every herb of the field and broken every tree of the field, only the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. I find that interesting that God was now supernaturally protecting his kids. And so while judgment was going out on the earth from heaven, God's kids had a protection. Hail was going down on the earth, but it wasn't in Goshen where the nation of Israel was staying at that time. And so just that divine protection. And in the midst of what God is doing we are affected because sin is in the world and things happen. There's an earthquake and we're affected. You know, there's, there's catastrophes and things happen. But when God's judgment goes out, God always protects his kids. And so I think that's neat. Verse 34 in chapter 9, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken. Verse 10, we see the locust. verse 1, chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord uh, said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servant that I may show these signs of mine before him. Now the contrast between Pharaoh hardening his heart seven times and God hardening his heart seven times is, there are two different words in the Hebrew. One is Pharaoh is stiff-necked against God. He's hardening his heart against God. The second word that's used when God hardens his heart is confirming his stance. He's giving him what he wants. Now here's something for us, even as God's children, to be very aware of. God will give you what you want if you insist. And that's something that we have to be very careful of. Do you want God's will? Do you want the center of God's will? then that's what you need to go after. But if you want to skirt around the permissible edges of God's will, He will let you. He's not going to force you. And so you need to be very, very careful. People that get um, addicted to pornography as I counsel with them, they, they, they blame God oftentimes. Well, why did God let this happen? How, how come God let me get s- just so deep into this? God will give you what you want. Did you want God's help? Did you want deliverance? Did you want to stop? Did you want to repent? Did you want to confess? Or did you want to continue to lie and hide and do all of these things that you knew were against God's will? And before you know it, you find yourself a mile away from God. And so you need to be very, very careful because the enemy is looking for us to compromise and he doesn't care what it's in. But he wants it one degree at a time, one degree at a time, one degree at a time. And before you know it, you've gone 180 degrees and turn your back against God and you've walked away from him. If you continue to compromise with God, you will find yourself walking away from God in the things of God. The Christian life is in the simplicity of a daily uh, being honest with yourself. It's a humbling thing. You have to acknowledge that you are no match for Satan that you are no match for the wiles of the devil. You have to acknowledge that you need God desperately. And you have to stay in communion with God. It, it's not, you know, like rocket science. But when we begin to compromise and branch out and, and insist on our will as opposed to God's, the enemy's, man, he's right there, just ready to snatch us away from god so we need to be careful verse seven then pharaoh's servant said to him how long shall this man be a snare to us let the men go that they may serve the lord their god do you not yet know that egypt is destroyed so now pharaoh's wise cracker guys wise guys are starting to let him know man look at these plagues we're on the eighth plague it's done dude look at our land It's destroyed. It's eaten up. This God is different. They repeated the first two plagues after the third one. They couldn't repeat them anymore. And they told Pharaoh at that time, this is the hand of God. We don't know what this is. We can't mess with this. This is bigger than us. And is Pharaoh listening? No. He continues to harden his heart and then God ultimately confirms his stance. And so I call that the point of no return. Where is it? It's way, 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 way long. As long as we have breath, we have an opportunity to repent, confess, and be right with God. But there is a point of no return, and I think we give up on God far sooner than He gives up on us. But we can get to that place, and so that's where the fear of the Lord comes in. And if you don't have a fear of the Lord, then that's a shame. You're right picking for the enemy. If you think that it's your own strength that can keep you right with God, then you're fooled. You've been deceived. We don't have the power, guys. Our enemy is serious. And he's good at what he does. And he has caused way greater than anybody in this room to stumble. And so we need to recognize that we are no match for the devil. I love uh, that contend Michael the archangel contending with Satan for the body of Moses, did not bring a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He would not let anything come in between him and the Lord. He kept the Lord in between him and the enemy. The Lord rebuke you. Not Michael the archangel rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And so we need to be very careful that we recognize that. Verse 9 in chapter 10, And Moses said, We will go... I'm sorry, verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said, The Lord had better be with you. And when I let you and your little ones go, beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, Uh, you who are men... So notice now just the men. And serve the Lord for what is uh, for that is what you desire and they will drive, be driven from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So as we continue on in verse 20 again, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. You get to the ninth plague and darkness does something. The ninth plague is darkness. And it's darkness to the extent that you can't see your hand in front of your face. Now, obviously, all of these things are miracles, but imagine how God did that. He took, made darkness in the land. But there wasn't darkness in Goshen, again, where the nation of Israel was. But has anybody ever been to a place where you can't see your hand in front of your face? Anybody? Where, where have you been? A cave. Where have you been? I was in these in the church they had behind the church they had all these what do you call them like hallways and once you took a few turns and the lights were out it was like someone could be right there you can feel their presence but you can't see them it's like weird (laughs) anybody else darkness uh, last year in the uh, Calvary Chapel Pacific Coast where we did the Easter service they (laughs) really had their candles and they said they completely turned all the lights out to pitch black. Couldn't see nothing. Just to, and then we all lit our candles. Turn. It was just the strangest feeling to be in that kind of darkness. It's it hurts. It's like it, it screams. There's something that just it's, yeah, it's <sighs> very disorientated. It? Yeah. yeah, you go mad. You go mad. You like begin to because your imagination is running. And it's, it's literally scary. It's just a scary, scary thing. So that's the ninth plague. Uh, verse 27 says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. You get down to the tenth plague, and it's announced, and then God does it. It's the death of the firstborn. How long did he leave it dark for? The dark? I think it says three days. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody read it? I think it's three days. Yeah, it's right there in verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Yeah, That's a long yeah. time. I'd a pee in my pants, I'm telling you. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Mama LaGucha. That would have been... I'd have been skrrred, skirt, skirt. All right, so you get to the 10th plague and God, remember, said that, hey, let him know that I'm going to take his firstborn. Why? Because you got my firstborn. You're messing with my kids. And yeah, judgment had come. And it was going to not be taken away. Verse 31. In what chapter are we in? 10th plague. Is that 11? Yeah. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night. That one? 12? Yes, yeah, uh, Twelve? Chapter, 12. chapter 12. Last chapter. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise. Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have as you have said. Also take your flocks and herds, and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. So finally he gives in. It took 10 plagues. It took him seven times of hardening his heart. It took him seven times of God confirming his stance to get to the point where he finally cries out, Uncle, his son would be killed in that firstborn. And that would be the thing that would just affect him i guess personally and so just the evil of uh you know the pharaoh and god reaching him so i think as we conclude uh romans chapter one is a good chapter that 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 kind of goes along with this romans chapter one talks about the spiral of degradation where those who suppress the truth it leaks out in ungodliness and unrighteousness And God gives them over to a debased mind, to a reprobate mind, to do things that are unfitting. And so as God's kids, um, we want to participate and cooperate with God in what He's doing in our life. And sometimes we think that the things that come into our lives are interruptions, inconveniences. But guys, God is using those very things to get our attention, to get our eyes on Him, to look to Him and... We need to learn to be content and thankful. I find it interesting that in Romans chapter 1, the spiral of degradation, one of the things that it adds that they were, it says, and they were not thankful. They were not thankful. We all have something to be thankful for. And God wants us to be uh, children of just gratitude, just being thankful to Him, even in the midst. I was... um, I was... Driving to work one day this week, and I just, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I thought I had, you know, I just, I, I was scared. I was scared for a moment if something had happened to me. And I was like, man, I, what if I'm, what if I die? Like, I'm, you know, just that thought just entered, like, what if I die? Like, and then I just said, you know what? I'm going to just give thanks to God for this. I began to just praise God and, and just, I got to, to work and I heard a message and it was talking about just a heart of gratitude when you're not sure what to do of giving thanks. And I was like, wow, that's pretty sweet. And then a day later I found out that it wasn't what I thought it was and everything's cool. So I'm like, oh, I'm not dying. Woo! okay.
1: Oh, good hell. I'm sure glad I gave Thanks.
0: And so even when we're, you know, in those places, when we're not sure, when when there's uncertainty, when you're scared, just legitimately scared, got to learn to give thanks. We got to just thank God for the tough things, for the good things. We're always, you know, blessed with the blessings, right? But if we're children of faith, then we need to walk by faith. And walking by faith means we trust God. And that's really what faith is. Faith is trust. We're trusting God with our lives. We're trusting God with the circumstances of our lives. And that doesn't mean that our lives are perfect. And far from it. But God is doing something in the midst of those things. Any questions on the ten plagues in Egypt. Covered. After that paragraph where it says something about the slumping heal or having to take the phone and how to forgive and how not to I mean there's so much like paid over so much hate Over, like, I mean, for whatever the reason that will take the first son who's going to forget those things like that like... Well, at any point, the Pharaoh had an opportunity to repent, he never did, and so again, you don't stick your chest out and dare God when God says, "This is what i'm going to do." He started out basically extremely disrespecting God by saying, "Who are you i don 't even know who you are, God, what power do you have?" And God showed them. And so we can't taunt God and think that we're going to win. God's bigger than all of us. Anybody else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are on your team. We thank you, Lord, that you are our God, that you are our Lord, that we worship the true and living God, not a bunch of dead and fake and phony gods made in our own image and so father i just pray that as we walk and talk with you that we would be grateful thankful lord for the things that happen in our lives for the things that come in and so lord help us teach us to just walk in these things lord as your children by faith trusting and taking you at your word and just allowing you father to to do what you need to do to allow what you need to allow to get us to those places lord you need to get us and so we just thank you for your grace we thank you for uh, your kindness we thank you for your long suffering and lord we thank you that uh, you rule and reign in the kingdom of men and you set it over the lowest of men and so we thank you for that lord continue to be with us as we thank you in jesus name Amen. amen